Warning, the podcast you are about to listen to will contain detailed plot spoilers. If you do not wish to have the movie ruined for you, I recommend turning the podcast off now. Also, the podcast will contain graphic and explicit language. If you don't think your ears can handle it, turn the podcast off and go change your tampon. You have been warned. the movie pit this is your host ryan and joined once again as always seth what up y'all so this week we were supposed to be discussing the 2022 hellraiser reboot we did record it but due to some technical difficulties that's gonna have to be pushed on the back burner but we will circle back around to it but tonight we're going to be talking about 1978's halloween so uh as always what have we been watching um let's see here i watched uh, the fugitive uh that was a very good watch absolutely 100 percent a great time there um but you know it's very action-packed i enjoyed the shit ton of, uh, shit ton out of it um and i feel like i watched something oh uh predator 2 i watched that one the other night that's a great movie yeah man i after going through and watching like horror movies and shit doing this, I didn't realize how much of a horror movie that really was. Oh yeah. Um, it's more of a, more of a horror movie than the first one was. Oh yeah. hundred percent. First one was definitely sci-fi action. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the reverse of the first two alien flicks, but the yeah. first one was more horror and the second one was more action sci-fi. The first one was also a work of art too, I think. Oh fuck yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a well done. Yeah. Ridley Scott fucking killed it on that yeah, one. Yeah. That was such a good movie. So, uh, very refreshing. <laughs> Brought terror to space for sure. Well, I can say it here, but I already said it on the Hellraiser one, but since you're not going to hear that for a few weeks, I did see the new Halloween that we will be talking about in three episodes from now. Okay. I'm going to reserve comments on that one until you watch it, and we'll go from there when we review that one. I want no expectations. But honestly, because I haven't really watched anything new since Saturday. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty much all I've anything brand new that i've watched is there anything that uh in the past few days that you've seen that piques your interest to wanting to watch uh there was that one that you sent me about it was like the grinch but they murder people oh the mean one the mean one i want to see the shit out of that for you i'm sure i'm dying to fucking see that one and i know i mentioned it. i can't wait to get my hands on a way of seeing a spirit halloween the movie I'm still oh, itching yeah, to see right. that, told one. Me about that I'm one. still <laughs> itching to see that one. It fucking has uh, stars Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. So that that movie is going to be fucking bonkers. I just fucking know it. I love Christopher. Literally, Lloyd. you got Christopher Lloyd. And um, did you ever see the movie? Uh, she's uh, she's all that. Rachel Lee Cook. Uh, I'm sure, maybe. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, I can't put a face to her name. 
great actress. Like she also played Josie from Josie and the Pussycats. Okay, if you saw that movie. So it just looks it, the premise of it just sounds fucking great because we've all gone to a spirits Halloween oh, yeah. at some point in our fucking life. Fuck yes, and uh, center a horror movie around it. Yeah, fucking hands down, fucking awesome. I have nothing else. Want to get right into it? Uh, I'm down. Yeah, let's let's do get it. into it. Let's see. Talk about John Carpenter's Halloween. On Halloween night in 1963 in the suburban town of Haddonfield, Illinois, six-year-old Michael Myers stabs his teenage sister Judith to death with a kitchen knife. 
For 15 years, he's incarcerated at Smith Grove Sanitarium. On October 30, 1978, Michael's psychiatrist, Dr. Samuel Loomis, arrives at the sanitarium to escort Michael to court for a hearing. Loomis hopes that Michael will be locked up for life. Michael escapes Smith's Grove, killing a mechanic for his coveralls on the way back to Haddonfield. Upon arriving, he steals knives, ropes, and a white expressionless mask from a hardware store. On Halloween, Michael sees high school student Lori Strode drop off a key at the long-abandoned Myers house that her father is trying to sell. Lori notices Michael stalking her throughout the day, but her friends Annie Brackett and Linda Von Dyke dismiss her concerns. Loomis arrives in Haddonfield and finds Judas' tombstone missing from the cemetery. He meets with Annie's father, Sheriff Lee Brackett, and they investigate Michael's house where Loomis tells Brackett that Michael is pure evil. Brackett is doubtful of danger, but goes to patrol the streets while Loomis waits at the house expecting Michael to return. That night, Lori babysits Tommy Doyle while Annie babysits Lindsay Wallace across the street. Michael follows them, spying on Annie and killing the Wallace's dog. Tommy sees Michael from the windows and thinks he is the boogeyman, but Lori does not believe him. Annie later takes Lindsay over to the Doyle house to spend the night so she can pick up her boyfriend, Paul. When she gets into her car, Michael appears from the back seat, strangling her and slitting her throat. Soon after, Linda and her boyfriend Bob arrive at the Wallace house and find it empty. After having a brief bout of sex, Bob goes downstairs to get a beer while Michael pins him to the wall with a kitchen knife. Michael then poses as Bob in a ghost costume and confronts Linda, who teases him to no effect. Annoyed, she calls Lori to find out what happened to Annie. Michael strangles Linda with a phone cord while Lori listens on the other end, thinking it's a joke. Loomis discovers the stolen car and searches the street, suspicious of the phone call. Lori goes to the Wallace house and finds her friend's bodies, as well as Judas Heston, in the upstairs bedroom. She flees to the hallway, where Michael appears in the dark and slashes her arm, causing her to fall over the stairway banister. Lori narrowly escapes and runs back to the Doyle house, but she finds she has lost her keys to the front door when she fell on the staircase. Tommy lets her into the house. Lori orders Tommy and Lindsay to hide and tries to telephone for help, only to find that the phone has been dead. Michael sneaks in through the window and attacks her again. She incapacitates him by stabbing him in the neck with a knitting needle. Thinking he is dead, Lori staggers upstairs to check on the children, but is shocked when Michael approaches to attack her once again. She tells the children to hide in the bathroom while Lori hides in the bedroom closet, but Michael finds her. Lori stabs him in the eye with a coat hanger and in the chest with his knife. She then tells Tommy and Lindsay to go down the street to the Mackenzie's house to call the police. After they leave, Michael wakens once again and slowly approaches an unsuspected Lori. Loomis sees the kids running from the house and goes to investigate, finding Michael and Lori fighting. Lori rips off Michael's mask, distracting him as he seeks to put it back on. Loomis shoots him six times, knocking him off the balcony. Lori asks Loomis if Michael was the boogeyman, which Loomis confirms, saying, as a matter of fact, it was. Loomis walks to the balcony and looks down to see that Michael has vanished. Unsurprised, he stares off into the night as Lori sobs as credits roll. So this being your first time seeing this movie, what did you think of it? Man, that was such a great movie. It was so well done. I mean, 
every bit of it I, I i definitely truly enjoyed no man that movie was so badass like it was another one of those that i was just like i loved every bit of it um if in the beginning part of it it really made me feel like i was in like a in a video game like a first person like uh just a murder game and uh oh was- i absolutely I, that opening shot mm-hmm. i fucking love it's like i think it's actually one of the earliest movies to implement steadicam okay, where yeah, the, like first literally where the camera is attached to the dp okay. the camera operator okay and they're walking so it has fluid motion mm-hmm. like with a gimbal and shit yep it's got the counterweight and everything mm-hmm. ironically and i just love the the whole like you see it from the front of the house coming behind the tree mm-hmm. goes to the house to the side of the house looking in sees a couple on the couch making out right then they go upstairs and it goes back to the front of the house to make sure the light goes off then we continue <laughs> around the back side of the house into the back door and a bunch of other crap yeah. grabbing the knife from the kitchen drawer and then the boyfriend's coming down the stairs and as he's as after he leaves the camera starts going up the stairs and long story short is you have this entire sequence and you get revealed that it's a six-year-old child that has just murdered his fucking sister yeah but that and entire opening scene was done it looks like a single shot Mm -hmm. it's actually three shots oh wow so when he the hand reaches down and the hand is actually done uh played by uh deborah hill who was one of the writers and producers on it (laughs) Um, because she was small enough to mimic a (laughs) six-year-old so when the hand reaches down to pick up the clown mask and then we get the as soon as the mask hits the camera, mm-hmm. that's the first cut, and it immediately goes into the second shot oh. where you can see through the Sick. see through the mask. Yeah, my favorite part about that sequence is when he's killing Judith. I don't know. I haven't went on a knife killing spree recently, <laughs> but if I'm stabbing someone to death, I'm not going to look at my hand because I. I just love how you see the knife going into the sister yeah. and all of a sudden the camera pans up and he's looking at his hand, just stabbing away at this fucking girl. He's like, I'm pretty confident that my aim is dope. <laughs> <laughs> this is naturally just instilled inside of me. This is what I do. <laughs> it's little things like that that I just fucking love. And then like, granted, I did not see this in 1978, but the reveal of being a six year old. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely seen enough times to have seen it in 1978, but we'll get into that a little later. Uh, but what did you think of the impact of that opening sequence? Did you know that it was six-year-old going into no, it? No, dude. <laughs> that was, that was such, like a, a dope shock. It was just like, oh, this little kid. Like, I remember sitting there thinking, like, did I really just see this little dude just like totally murder his sister? And then it just like pants out and you're just like, Huh. And then, like I said, when we were watching, I was like, that'd be funny if just like at the at the transition point where it's just black, it just says the end. I'm like, huh. I, <laughs> I kind of had that feeling. To it. But then like, it immediately transitions into Loomis and the nurse mm-hmm. going to the sanitarium, which is a great sequence. Because like, even this is the, your first time seeing Dr. Loomis. You knew that this guy did not like Michael. Right. Not at all. And believed he was fucking just pure evil he was terrified of him dude but obviously for good yeah, reason damn good reasons so they see a bunch of crazy people <laughs> yeah, are so loose crazy. right <laughs> they were just roaming around so 
Loomis has her go to the front gate because yeah. he wants to let the call somebody and call security. So you already know this is happening. You're sitting in the driver's seat as the nurse. You notice a person jump onto the hood of the car from behind, on the top of the car from behind. Would your first natural instinct to be, oh, let's roll the window down? Right, because that's <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, uh, you have a degree in medicine and not common sense. And I love the, uh, the scene where the hand comes down and busts the fucking window. It took, I think it was about five years of me watching this movie. And now, especially watching it projected on the wall, you can see it clear as day. And every time I see it, and watch this movie, I can just fucking see it. You can see a fucking huge-ass wrench attached to Nick Castle's arm when it comes down to shatter the glass. You can literally see the wrench. <laughs> I was going to mention it to you to see if you... I've got, I wasn't going to say wrench. I'm just going to see if you notice anything interesting. Yeah, there was definitely something, some kind of shape you could see. Oh, it's hand. straight up a fucking... Cr- <laughs> like, straight up wrench. Yeah, that was that was good. But I think that's a good setup for the escape of Michael. But I, I, have, I feel really bad for Nick Castle with those rain towers because you cannot warm that water up. And he was out there literally just in his fucking underwear and a fucking hospital fucking gown for i think i think in the documentary it said they shot that that scene took about four hours oh my god just being in that gear like all that? the different oh dude being fucking soaked head to head to toe <laughs> basically buck-ass fucking naked. oh man that'd be miserable hey that's a sacrifice they make <laughs> it's art and then that scene transitions into we meet Lori, her father i love the look that they went with for Haddonville. Uh, do you know where they shot this movie by chance? I have no idea, dude. The enti- well, the movie is supposed to take place in Illinois. Right. The entire movie was shot in fucking South Pasadena. Oh. And a lot of people get shit because if you watch that scene where she's walking to school and meets Tommy and everything, mm-hmm. you can actually see some palm trees and shit in the background. <laughs> and yeah, if you're that fucking fickle, it might bug the shit out of you. It's probably... Good chance that uh, that crazy asylum was already there and those crazy people were just already hanging outside. They was like, hey, we're going to film a couple of scenes here at night if that's cool. Those people were just there already. <laughs> it also made me feel like when they were going to open it up, like they were going to open up like a, a, a raptor cage, but it was going to be like for murder. Right. <laughs> that's what it felt like. <laughs> and I like uh, when you first, when Lori, when Tommy comes up to Lori, you could tell that she's babysat him for a very long time. Like the chemistry between those two characters is instant as soon as he walks on the screen. Oh yeah. And for a young kid, for both kids, um, Tommy and Lindsay, their acting chops are far, far above their age. In my opinion, it was they were better than some of the adults. <laughs> oh, I have a feeling I know which one you're talking about. <laughs> Would you be talking about Linda? Yeah, it was kind of rough. <laughs> I love that character because PJ Souls was just being PJ Souls. Mm-hmm. Like if you've seen, like I think at this time she had just done Carrie. Okay. Oh, okay. That's um, Stephen King, right? Yeah. Okay. And she went on to do like Rock and Roll High School. I never saw that one. That, that Rock and Roll High School was a movie that's based around the Ramones. 
Okay. So that movie would be right up your fucking alley. I I'm think. down. Her acting is what it is. But literally, I remember uh, me and a bunch of fucking buddies, every time we'd watch this movie on Halloween, I had the drinking, the totally drinking game. All right. Take a shot every time Linda says totally. <laughs> because it wasn't written that way in the script. All right. So you're just kind of freestyling it? Yeah. So I now you got totally. Literally think John Carpenter and Deborah Hill said they might have said totally in the script once. And PJ just fucking ran with it. <laughs> and it became the fucking catchphrase. <laughs> Halloween. Totally awesome. <laughs> so aside from her slightly off acting, which, like I said, I can I can look beyond. What do you think of the characters overall in this movie? They were all pretty great. Um, I definitely like the Doctor a lot. I, I love how much he... He's the, like the storyteller, right? Yeah. He's the one that's going to add all the lore to, you know, this fucking demon of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really loved how he gives, he gives my, he's like a Michael's hype man. And mm. <laughs> that brings me a lot of joy. Um, yeah, Donald Pleasance, is, I think he's the only person that could have played this role. Mm-hmm. Cause I know they offered it to Peter Cushing who played Grandma Tarkin and a new hope. And they also offered it to Christopher Lee who obviously played Count Dooku in episode two and three of the star Wars. Ooh, and, Never heard anything from Cushing yeah. about it, but after the success, because Loomis, in what we're going to watch, Loomis, you won't see anymore because we're obviously jumping to 2018. Okay. But Loomis was in every, the third movie doesn't have Michael Myers in it. So he was in Halloween, Halloween 2, Halloween 4, 5, and 6. He was the backbone of this franchise. Okay. And so. Uh, Christopher Lee turned the role down and I guess some 20 years later, 25 years later he came um, ran into John Carpenter and shook his hand and told him that was the biggest mistake I ever made in my life was turning down this role. Holy shit. (laughs) And Donald Pleasance only took the role because his daughter was a fan of one of Carpenter's previous flicks Assault on Precinct 13. Mm-hmm. And like he hadn't never, Pleasance never saw a thing. He did it for his daughter. All he <laughs> saw, because originally he wanted to turn it down, because all he saw was a bunch of young hippie <laughs> film students, <laughs> never done anything really major in their life. Yeah. And uh, he agreed to do the flick and did five sequels, and he is the backbone of this movie and every other one when we get to those ones later on. Uh, but Donald Pleasance is definitely the heart, heart oh, and yeah. soul of the Halloween franchise. Kind of like the narrator to a certain extent. Mm. You, know, you just kind of you, you follow along with him. And like, I was, I wanted him to find Michael so bad. Like I, I was yearning like, dude, find right. him. like maybe like, cause I was like, how is this going to end? <clears throat> cause I've, I really haven't really seen too many scenes or clips from this too much. Uh-huh. Um, and it's old as shit. And you'd think I'd come by with all the internets and stuff. But it kind of reminded me of like, he was like, if he was on the spectrum, because he was kind of awkward. Mm-hmm. And he just like, I just loved how he kind of creeped around like everywhere. And it they you know, he vanished and came back. It was very menacing, very mysterious. It, it added a lot to the imagination. And it also like was just like, uh, and he was very slow to murder. He kind of just kind of did his own little thing. But 
that's how I saw it because he was just kind of awkward and all the scenes that you saw him in oh, yeah. just kind of remind me like he was shy he was like the sh- like shy polite murder guy yeah and what I always what I always loved about Michael Myers because anybody that knows me this is no hidden thing Halloween is my favorite movie of all fucking time mm-hmm. got Michael Myers tattooed on my skin yep Michael's in no rush to do <laughs> fucking anything <laughs> I kill at my own pace. Don't rush me, bitches. Run as quick as you want. Yeah. Michael will walk faster. <laughs> He'll get you. He'll teleport his mob up in his little murder wagon. Yeah. <laughs> I did love that he drove. And I love that the music, you could hear from a distance. And then it got like louder as he got closer to them. And then it just kind of disappeared. It just, I just kept picturing a video game. Side-scrolling, you know, video game, first-person murder. And then you can hear the They did coming. make a Halloween video game. Uh, is that right? yeah was it shitty was on it atari like- 2600 oh, okay <laughs> it was released by the same company in the same day that they released the texas chainsaw massacre atari game fuck yeah <laughs> oh i wonder who sold more <laughs> i don't think any of them sold yeah. i've played it it's fucking bad man yeah <laughs> but it's also fucking atari 2600 yeah you can't really do a hell of a lot with that but what i i remember hearing that it just fucking amazed me i'm like they made a video game where you're playing as the fucking killer? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, let's try this. Oh, I was definitely down the drive. <laughs> uh, in the scene where uh, Lori and Annie are driving to their babysitting gig, mm-hmm. when she gets picked up, you have that really like hip kind of bumping song a little bit. Did he? I, I, I would say the kind of like a fifties. Oh yeah, it was hip bebop to, drive. to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the very following scene, and this is honestly the movie that got me into the band, uh, Blue Oyster Cult, the Don't Fear the Reaper. Oh, uh, yeah. That is a perfect track <laughs> so for sad. this movie. Yeah. Reaper's coming out tonight in the form. And literally, I don't think John Carpenter really realized how perfect it was mm. for this particular movie. He only licensed the rights to that song because that was his favorite song oh nice uh, literally the only reason why it shows up in this and then you also mentioned that uh one of carpenter's favorite movies was the original the thing from another uh, another world that he eventually went on to remake and we will rediscuss this one okay a few movies down the line the thing yeah okay well i'll just spoil it right now it's not a big fucking meal. In Halloween Ends, the young kids are watching John Carpenter's The Thing on TV. <laughs> where in this one, they're watching the Howard Hawks The yeah. Thing. See, I didn't know there was uh, an original. I had only seen oh, yeah. his. Um, and then when I saw it, and I was like, wait, that's that's not his version of it. It can't be. No. <laughs> yeah. And I also like the inclusion of, uh, I don't know if you ever saw it, uh, the other movie that they showed in there, The, the Forbidden Planet. Uh, I can't say that I have. Very old sci-fi flick. In the time where Leslie Nielsen wasn't doing slapstick comedy, where he was doing serious fucking roles. Okay. Because, like, I knew Leslie Nielsen from Naked Gun and shit like that. Yeah, that's all I know. And then going back and rewatching this as a kid, looking at the clip of the old black and white movie, and realizing that that's fucking Leslie Nielsen. I never thought that dude could do a serious fucking role. Never fucking thought. But 
both the inclusions of those two movies in this flick, I think kind of fits in to the overall story of it. You have the thing from another world. Loomis keeps calling Michael pure evil. Pure evil, right. The forbidden planet. The two babysitters' houses are the forbidden planets in a way. Even John Carpenter kind of, that's why he picked those movies to include. He's like, he's very cerebral (laughs) with a lot of shit. You have to do some deep, deep dives. He's got a lot of meaning behind his shit. Yeah. More than just filming people being killed. This being Jamie Lee Curtis's first movie role. How do you think she did? She, She had obviously done TV, but for a leading role, how do you think? That character came off. Her normal acting was was spot on. Uh, the only part that I didn't really like too much was uh, when she started to slowly be like mm, her victim character, like her her sense of fear and how she portrayed the terror that she was going through. Like I just didn't like her screams that much, and like I just felt they just it was too. I don't know. It just didn't feel as genuine as maybe some of the other shit that we've seen. Mm-hmm. But that was the only part that I didn't like of her acting was when she's running and screaming and she's like wincing, like ah, like I yeah. just it didn't feel natural. Um, but everything else, I felt like she did a killer ass job. Yeah, compared to everybody else. And in fairness, if you've never been in a, obviously never been in a movie before, so right. never been in a horror movie. Exactly. She does get better. Yeah, because this is the movie that gave her a name. Oh, besides yeah. her middle name it's it's like her legacy you know yeah but she went on to do many other horror movies in the 80s um, she was the original quote-unquote uh, scream queen so that's what i was wondering about because i would listen to her scream intentionally to see how it sounded mm-hmm. and i was trying to compare it to like some of the other ones and if this is where it kind of all began then i'm 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 content with that yeah and i'll say this she is the original quote, what they started quoting as the screen queen. But I think that honor has to go to her mother. Oh, she's an actress as well? Very much so. Jamie Lee Curtis was not John Carpenter's first choice to play Laurie Strode because she hadn't been in anything before. Oh. But having seen her audition, she knew it was perfect and her family's legacy. John Carpenter cast her as a the ultimate tribute to horror master Alfred Hitchcock. Oh. Because Jamie Lee Curtis's mom is Janet Lee, who played the shower victim in Psycho. Oh. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so badass. They each kind of have that legacy of the classic mm. that went on to live forever and ever. And okay, that's that's pretty badass. Yeah. And that, the difference is Janet Lee was already a name. She was already famous and didn't get her start in horror. What I like is that horror is what gave her daughter her career. Oh, you're right. right. Because if I honestly don't think if there was a Halloween, there'd be a Jamie Lee Curtis. That's At least fair. not to the ex- extent that it is now. Was this her like her first first movie? Yes, very okay. first movie. And even she has what said, a hell of a fucking gig, dude. Right, because uh, she actually is quoted in saying in a recent interview on uh, TV with the promotions for the new Halloween movie that's out. 
and she was in tears saying it, that Halloween gave her a career, gave her an acting career. And it was strange that 40 years later, when the 2018 sequel comes out, her getting teamed up with Jason Bloom, uh, David Gordon Green, she's now producing and directing movies. So 40 years later, after Halloween gave her an acting career, Halloween has given, given her a directing and producing career now. Oh, what has she? What has she done? Oh, she's got a bunch of crap coming out. Really, Jamie Lee Curtis is making making shit now. Yeah. Okay. Well, she, that'll be. A, have you seen anything that she's done, or is this not, all going to be brand new stuff? Not yet. That this, is it going to be horror, or do you know that? I do not know. Oh, but dude, that's. I'm, I love that you know that. <laughs> being Bloomhouse, I'll say there's definitely going to be some horror in there because is that the label she's with or the yeah that's studio? the production company. Like, okay. So like they did the. Uh, Hellraiser reboot. Okay. Bloomhouse is behind that. Okay. Um, if you ever saw Sinister, they were behind that. I don't think I saw Sinister. Uh, the The Purge, I believe, was Bloomhouse. Man, I, I, wanna, I haven't seen The Purge, but I love the idea behind it. Oh, so do I. <laughs> and we will cover that one. <laughs> All right, cool. Backtracking. And I, I loved the on-screen chemistry between Dr. Loomis and uh, Charles Cyphers is Sheriff Brackett. Yeah. The two of them are great together. Yeah. And when we get to the original Halloween 2, not what we're watching next, uh, you get a little bit more of that. And I think it's hilarious because you made a comment during the screening of this one about this doctor from a psych place can just fucking bark orders at a fucking sheriff. <laughs> In 81's <laughs> Halloween 2, Sheriff Brackett literally says, you know, I'm just about there, doctor. <laughs> just about where? That point where I stopped taking orders from you. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Because like this dude just comes into town wielding a fucking 357 Magnum, spouting off about evil has, re- has come to your little town sheriff and shit like that. And I will say this, going back to the Loomis character, he delivers some of the best monologues I've ever fucking heard. Cool. Like the when the speech he gives, like I met met this six year old child, it's fifteen years old, blank, pale, emotionless face, black as eyes, devil's eyes. One, it's great fucking writing. Yeah, no other actor could deliver it the way the fucking Dominic dude. He was so pleasant. Fucking delivered that. Yeah, every every time he spoke was very enjoyable. So, what'd you think about the first kill? Now, I heard a lot of people bitching. That the first kill on this movie doesn't happen until about 40 minutes into the movie. That's not true. The movie starts off with the death of fucking Judith. So this movie starts off with a fucking kill. So anybody that's bitching about that, go take your tampon out. You mean you mean killing his sister? Right? Yeah. Straight from the get-go. That hella is the first kill. And then kill. you get a second kill immediately, the mechanic where he gets his fucking coveralls. So right. there's two kills in the first 20 minutes of the movie. You just don't see one of them. But what? how do you think they approached the death of Annie Brackett. Dude, that that threw me so I didn't I didn't see that coming even by like any means at all. I've never seen a movie that I could think of where it just I mean, I've seen a lot of movies where murders like or killing happens in the very mm-hmm. beginning, but just to see like a little dude just like just straight up just go just get her, man. Yeah. I mean, child's play, but that's different. That's like a possessed spirit. But then again, if this guy's pure evil and like 
you know the 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 human form or whatever um then i could see that but it was it it, now if you want to start if you want to start a movie off and really show people like what the fuck is about to happen like i think having a small little kid kill another little kid Mm -hmm. is like the dopest flex you could do i think of starting off a movie just like boom what do you guys think about that (laughs) and on on that point and again we're not going to get into it anytime soon but eventually once we reach the rob zombie remake of halloween he like the first entire act of his halloween is michael's childhood and he lived in a fucked up house got a abusive alcoholic stepfather his sister fucking who beats him his sister fucking picks on him beats the crap out of him you see him fucking torturing animals smashing fucking hamsters and shit they're giving michael a reason for being the way he is is it canon though and that, no, not in my world yeah okay that's fair <laughs> i i'll i'll spoil my thoughts on the rob zombie one rob zombie never should have touched halloween huh. he fucked up Halloween. That'll be interesting to see. <laughs> because the whole reason why Michael Myers works is because he didn't have a fucked up childhood. He was. Born he had a good childhood. He was. That's just how pure he was. Fucking evil. Yeah. Uh huh. That's what I took from it, anyways, based off of the information they gave us. Yeah. That is legit. What he was. You don't need a fucking reasons, excuses, backstories, abuse, none of that bullshit. He was born evil. He will die evil. Mm. And as you find out, because at the end of that movie, he wasn't there. So obviously evil doesn't die that fucking quickly. No, not at all. But the first real main death we see is going to be Annie's. What do you think of the buildup to that? That whole The whole buildup from her getting stuck in the fucking laundry room window. When I think I love about that is she wedges herself in and gets stuck. All she had to do was move that fucking rack, and the window would have yeah, opened that fully. Yeah, makes sense. You know, that's just that's just too much common sense. You can't give them credit for that shit at all. That's like <laughs> that was just uh, a scene so that way you could see her ass sticking out through the window. That was all that that shot was for. Because <laughs> she didn't die there. I thought that like when the little girl John Carpenter hoping to get a little lip slip. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly thought that the little girl was going to go in there uh, and find her like like dead like pull her back out of the window and then she was just going to be dead. But then she started talking and I was like, okay. Um, Cause you know, I feel like that's a common scene. You see where someone, you see half of a somebody and then it like, they, you know, they come over and you see them and they're like, they're dead or oh, like, yeah, it's yeah, gone yeah, or yeah, like yeah. there's something in their forehead. <laughs> I was expecting that. And uh, when she go after dropping Lindsay off at the Doyles, goes back to go pick up Paul. And I don't know. I don't, have you ever seen any interviews with John Carpenter? Uh, I don't even know what he looks like now. John Carpenter actually was the voice of Paul on the other end of the phone. Oh, Annie was talking. Those scenes are always so painful, bro. I feel like the the phone ones are like the hardest. They just feel so scripted, like just so lying. Oh, they're very scripted yeah. because there's the nobody on the <laughs> other end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The best phone scenes is when there's talking. actually somebody on the other end. Okay. When they're legit talking to somebody. Otherwise, you're literally just spouting lines off. Yeah. Uh huh. In front of a camera, just yourself. <laughs> And I, in that scene in particular, when she's on the phone with uh, Paul, I love the usage of the panning back and forth. And Michael appears in the doorway behind her, mm-hmm. and then it 
goes back this way. She closes the cupboard door, turns back around, walks white right to the door, and Michael's vanished. Yeah. And they pull that trick a lot in this movie, especially like in the, the backyard sequence at the beginning mm-hmm. where Lori sees him standing in the clotheslines. If you... I, I honestly thought that that was a meme. I thought somebody had made, like, I thought it was some dude, like, dressed up like Michael Myers, like, just chilling uh, in, and I thought someone took a picture oh, so of that you'd and made seen that. that. I didn't know that was really from the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought, it, honestly, it made me, it just, it made me laugh because it just, it just felt like, like, this, like, a depressed or an emo kid just, like, standing, you know, in, just in the clothesline, just looking at you, like, come out and play or something. I don't know. <laughs> I thought that was made on the internet. So that, that, that scene cracked me up. So Annie's dad. Yeah. So Annie's heading to pick up Paul. She realizes she doesn't have keys to her car. Goes back to the house, picks up the keys, goes back to the car, and, and it's walks fun. right inside. And yeah, it wasn't locked. Did you notice that when yeah. she goes back to the car and she just opens it up? You don't see a scene of her put the key in her. Yeah, oh yeah, that's intentional. That like even like she does a pause real quick, kind of looks towards camera but not at the camera, and that's when she starts rubbing the the windshield uh-huh. because somebody had opened the door and somebody's in there causing it to fog up. <sighs> so he was able just to jimmy the door open that quick? Uh, he's magic. He's dark evilness. He can do whatever the fuck he he's wants. He's Michael fucking Myers. Yeah, uh-huh. So he can do whatever the fuck he, he wants to do. He defies all physics and reality. <laughs> like The first time I saw this movie was on a beat up fucking VHS. For the longest time, I thought he just fucking stabbed her in the gut after choking her out. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until DVD came out and you've got crisp, Quality. clear, yeah. that I realized that he actually slit her throat, which always made it much more, make more sense when you see her on the bed at the big reveal. And I'll have something I want to talk about with the big reveal later. Okay. But it's just something I'd never see, didn't see on beat up old well, there was no blood right i mean you just kind of see his hand go across yeah. her neck right and then all yeah. of a sudden she's just dead mm. this movie didn't have a lot of blood in it oh no it's like, it's kind of up there with fucking texas chainsaw massacre but part. this was way more pg than texas chainsaw massacre minus the nudity yeah there was yeah some chicks and stuff and there was and there was drinking. quite a bit of blood on judith when she got killed that's fair. A lot of drinking and smoking weed. Mm. Um, All the stuff, stuff that you do in horror movies that get you killed. Yeah. <laughs> One absolutely leads to the other. Did, so is this where er, any, the whole scene behind hearing somebody breathing on the other line, did this spark that? Because, you know, you, that's a common thing. I honestly believe it is. Okay. Be- this and I'll say Black Christmas. Oh, I need to see that Which one. we are going to discuss in December. Okay, tight. Um these two definitely brought the heavy breathing, like pretty much breathing as a character in right. our life. Mouth breathers, nerds <laughs> are mouth breathers. This is what this is like. You take every nerdy kid who was picked on, or who was just socially awkward, and you just make him a murderer. That's you. I mean, mouth breathing. They're awkward. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're just kind of born that way. <laughs> That's what this film reminds me of. Like. <laughs> Just Spectrum on the Murder. That's all I keep just thinking of. So next up on the chopping block after Annie, you've got uh, you have Linda and Bob show up in the shagging wagon. And I have to say, I love those old fucking 70s. Just those vans. Big ass vans. Uh, Dope ass like eagle on the side or something. I will say this. Unicorn. I think there's some dialogue in that scene that probably wouldn't make it into a movie today. 
because they all have these plans of hooking up. It's like, remember when we go in, go upstairs, first door on the left, and then Bob makes a joke when they're drinking fucking beer. He's like, okay, first, uh, first I rip your clothes off, then you rip my clothes off, and then we rip Lindsay's clothes off. <laughs> Straight up. Lindsay is a six-year-old fucking girl. Oh, my <laughs> God. I thought, I thought he was talking about... Uh, I guess Annie, is that her name? The, yeah. The girl that was actually watching No. Oh, Lindsay, the little wow. fucking girl. Jeez. That's kind of rough, dude. <laughs> I guarantee you no producer, no studio would ever allow that line in their movie. But it works. I don't because... know. We saw fucking, per, you know, <laughs> and I think some producers will allow a lot more than you'll give them credit for. That was also a completely different country <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that produced that Fair, movie. fair, fair. <laughs> Uh, oh god what did you think of the production value of the movie man well first let me tell you they shot the movie for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and they shot the movie in 16 days wow (laughs) um i dude i think it was super quality i mean i for what whatever production value that they had they made the most of it for like like there wasn't a lot of gore there wasn't a lot of blood right all the murder scenes were pretty straightforward i mean his gear yeah he looks like he looks like a fucking uh custodian you know then with his mask and shit and he goes gets a knife he doesn't ever use the rope though he gets the rope but is that how he gets around town like he's spider-manning the fucking rope or something like (laughs) literally the the rope thing I never understood. It was just like they threw it in there, like <laughs> ropes, knives, and masks. Yeah, he, uh, he's really into that uh, that asphyxiation shit where uh, he likes to beat off before he goes and chokes himself out with like a little noose. Like I know they fucking they cut a lot of corners on the production on this to make things cheaper. Mm-hmm. Like this movie was made by a group of fucking USC friends. Everybody who worked on the movie had never worked on a major motion picture unless they were acting in the movie. Oh, that's tight. Uh, even the guy who played Michael Myers. Because mm-hmm. nowadays, characters like that, Jason Voorhees, are always played by stuntmen. Mm. Michael Myers wasn't even played by an actor. That was played by a friend of theirs that was just happened to be on set. And John was like, hey, you want to put on some coveralls and be the killer? Sure, I'll do that. And Michael Myers was played by a man named Nick Castle, who you might not know, but I think you probably have seen something he's done. Because nowadays he's mostly known as being a director. And Michael Myers is the one who brought us the comedy classic Major Pain. Okay. <laughs> Major Pain with the Wayans brother? Yes. <laughs> he, he made that movie? The dude and wrote it. <laughs> Uh, okay. Maybe that's why Major Payne had such a affinity for wanting to kill people. <laughs> oh wow! Huh? That's like a straight like Urkel moment or something. <laughs> so let's talk about the mask for a minute. That wasn't a studio made mask. They didn't have it special, specially made for them, like they do in the movies now. Right. They literally went to a Halloween store, and. If, in your lifetime, you've probably seen masks at stores made by Don Post. Mm-hmm. They literally went to a shop and bought the mask is William Shatner yeah. from TJ Hooker. Yeah, okay. They just widened the eyes, painted it white, redid the hair, <laughs> but that's a fucking Shatner mask. That is so amazing. <laughs> I, I love that. So when I, the first time I heard that, I laughed my face off. And I was, so what did that Shatner think about that? You know, 
I honestly have no fucking Never clue. seen anything? No. He has to know, right? Someone oh, has to have told him. Absolutely. And just so you know that your face has been terrorizing fucking teenagers, <laughs> you know, on screen and off screen, whether it's in Star Trek or whether it's in this. <laughs> yeah. Just your face, not your acting this <laughs> yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, one of the, so is there some kind of... Um, is there some kind of theme or relation between the fact that Leatherface wears faces and he essentially wears a face of somebody else? Is this like a and if that's an Ed Gein thing, I totally get it. But yeah, that was Ed Gein for Leatherface. the The reason why they did with Michael Myers is because John Carpenter wanted him to be completely unrelatable to anybody, have no expression. Okay, like. Loomis says, blank, pale, emotionless face. Yeah. They gave him a blank, pale, emotionless mask. Yeah. So okay, that's cool. I, I Honestly, besides the writing, obviously the music. Man, he killed it. He did the music too, yep. right? That's what John said. Carpenter did the majority of this shit. And I think and that's, that's, again, to cut down the cost mm-hmm. so they can put more money towards other shit. So he composed every song in the movie. Yeah, and I think he did a great job, honestly. It fit the movie so well, and I wonder if he was a little more gratuitous or like a little bit more into adding more of his own music because it was all his own shit. Well, back in those days, he scored all of his movies. Okay. Like, even he did The Fog, Mm -hmm. um, Escape from New York. Uh, He did, him and Alan uh, Hayworth did Halloween 2, Halloween 3, and then Alan took over for that. But John Carpenter has been known for doing the music in all of his movies. Are they all synthy like that? Or is that only for oh, Halloween? He, his big thing was that, that synthesizer. Okay. Synthesizer. All right. And next week, when we watch the 2018 Halloween, there's a little more of an edge to it. But John Carpenter does come back to score the movie with his son, Cody Carpenter. Oh, so it still has that John vibe, but with a newer-ish sound to it. Okay. I can so see. I think you'll dig it when we get to that. Yeah. The music, I think, is such an important part of it. And and like you said, some of the other shit that we've watched, the lack of music also mm-hmm. just adds so much. It oh, yeah. Set the like mood said, of the film. I love this movie to death. Mm-hmm. You take the music out of it, it is no longer terrifying. Not at all. It, there's nothing to be scared of. The music is a character in the movie. Yeah, that's fair. It's actually, I think, one of the leading characters in the movie. Because yeah. it literally, there's not a scene in the movie, really, where there's not some some piece of score going over it. It's kind of like uh, Tom and Jerry, how you know the music kind of goes along with you know, <laughs> yeah. the actions. Yeah. When he's mobbing by in the car, it's got the noise. Anytime you see him on screen, it's kind of like his entrance noise. Like it, he did a very good job at like anytime you hear this, this specific, you know, that's the every mm-hmm. thing that everybody knows, the Halloween uh, theme. Anytime anybody hears this, this is gonna like live on for fucking ever. Well, fuck it. Because I can't think of anything else that he's done. I've seen the thing. Uh, he does. It, there is a John Carpenter's Vampires, right? I feel yep. like I've seen that. Um, I can't think. And you said Escape to L.A. Escape, uh, Escape from L.A. Escape from New York with Kurt Russell. Yep. Uh, I've seen parts of those. Yep. But again, I'm not like Big Trouble it. in Little China. Uh, oh fuck yeah! <laughs> I just rewatched that he one did a that. while back. Yeah, okay. He did that. He did uh, Prince of Darkness. I don't think I've seen that one. <sighs> the Fog. 
And that is one I definitely want to throw on our list of down the line the fucking do because I love that fucking movie. Okay. It's a completely different, it's not a, a serial killer slasher movie. Well, it's called it's, The Fog, so I imagine. It's a ghost it. story. Okay. It, it is really fucking good. And I, honestly, uh, I had to track that movie down from stories from, uh, from my mom, from when her and my dad were dating. They saw that movie at the drive-in, and it was the only movie that my dad jumped out of the fucking car. Wow. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Like, it made him literally jump out of his fucking convertible. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's good. <laughs> the last thing I want to talk about, production value on this movie, mm-hmm. the cinematography. Okay. Well, it looks fucking beautiful. Yeah. The he, lighting, everything. The camera work, I feel, was a little repetitive. A lot of it was, because that's why it reminds me so much of a video game, because obviously initially that first person kind of vibe that you have where you kind of see him get himself armed. I loved all that. And then a lot of it was just like sitting in one spot, waiting for the actors or actresses to walk towards the camera and that it would side scroll with them. And so I just kept thinking like, He's got missions. He's got two houses he has to go in. He's got a side quest. He's got to come over and kill All this right. bitch. And then he's got his you know, main quest over there. And he kind of makes his way there and just kills motherfuckers on the way. But the, all the cinematography on it, it was, was so good, dude. Mm. I mean, that, uh, he, yeah, he, he's kind of got that. He's got the artist's eye where you can just see certain scenes. I, I could see him picturing all of those scenes oh, yeah. just kind of as they were. And like, um, This was shot by uh, Dean Cundy. And he was another one of Carpenter's friends. So he shot a lot of, did, obviously he did this movie. He did Escape from New York. I'm going to rename a lot of movies here. The Fog he shot. Halloween 2, Halloween 3, The Season of the Witch he shot. So he definitely has even shot a, a showdown or Big Trouble in Little China. Okay. So is loves to work with John Carpenter. But... He's also the DP who shot all the Back to the Futures, Jurassic Park, okay, Apollo thirteen. Fuck this dude! Like he is, yeah, a skilled fucking cinematographer. I think all those movies won awards and shit, right? Or were yes. like nominated for it. Yes. Wow, <laughs> that guy's a baller, dude. And he got his start with pretty much Halloween. This was like his first movie? One of his first movies. Tight. Yeah, early on in his career. And he and you said he does pretty much do all the rest of the other Halloween ones or up to part 3, but he did uh did uh work with John Carpenter on a lot of his other non-Halloween projects. Okay. Now, on the production value, like I said this movie was shot for 250 to $300,000. When this movie came out, it made on its initial release, I want to say it was at thirty-four thousand or thirty-four thousand, thirty-four million dollars. That's way more than Texas, right? Oh fuck yeah, yeah. And if you put that in, like, think what I was looking up, uh, the the rates were two thousand eight. Uh, speak, you adjust for inflation in two thousand eight. That would have been a hundred and seventy, a uh, hundred and seventy million dollar opening and release. Damn. That is so for over 30 years this was the most successful independent low budget film ever made. And is this is this Carpenter's first movie? Second. So what was his first one? Uh Assault on Precinct 13. Uh I I don't know if I've seen that one. Assault on Precinct 13. Have you heard of it? Seen it? I feel like I've heard of it. 
They did remake it back in like early 2000s with Ethan Hawke. Okay, I might have seen that one. I didn't know that there was an older one. Mm-hmm. Um, when was uh, the original made? So this one, one, I think 1975. 75 or 76. Okay. What was? Do you know what the budget was on that one? I mean, did he make money from that and he was able to invest more? He in actually did make money on that one. Okay. Because, not, actually, hold on. Precinct was his second film. His first one was one he uh, expanded on a student a student project when he was in at USC Dark uh, Dark Star. Dark Star. So that was actually his first one. Hmm. That one made enough money for place to throw a couple bucks his way to make Precinct. Right. And that movie made enough for Mustafa Akkad. To throw two hundred fifty thousand at him to make this movie. Okay. When you think about it, he this was might not have been his first film, but as a new director, pretty much to have the caliber of a just gonna Charles Cyphers who played the sheriff mm-hmm. and Donald Pleasance because Donald Pleasance has he was a fucking Bond villain for God's sake. Oh wow. He was Bloomfield. Which it, Bond? Uh, you Only Live Twice. Yep. See, I haven't watched any of the, the classic Bond films either. And I see him and I know I should. Um, is that the <laughs> Pretty one much he Connery? plays the character. Yeah. Okay. It's with Sean Connery. Donald Pleasant's character was the model for Dr. Evil. Oh. In Austin Powers. Okay, that's where he's <laughs> so, making fun of it from? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the look of him. The voice of Dr. Evil. That comes from Lauren Michaels from the creator of Saturday Night Live. Right, right. So, but back to Halloween. <laughs> I can sidetrack on fucking yeah, dude, John Carpenter shit. Yeah. Hey, you got to just throw in <laughs> so, that nerd knowledge. When Loomis is standing at the Myers house, first thing I love is when he scares the kids on the porch. Because <laughs> he just has such a look of joy at having done it. <laughs> right? Yeah, he's like, I'm going to be... I don't, this is what it's like to be Michael Myers. Hey, he just terrifies people from a distance. <laughs> and like, he, like just the, the, the grin on his face is fucking priceless. Like he was just so pleased with himself. <laughs> Not like he's trying to keep him away from the house. He just wanted to scare the shit out of three little fucking kids. Uh, one thing that I thought was probably one of the funniest parts for me was when he, when Michael Myers decided to put on the sheet and go up and like and put, put the, on glasses the glasses on, on the outside. Of it? Like that, for some reason, all I kept picturing was E.T. Is the scene from E.T. because they put a little hat and shit on him or whatever. And he's just got the little eye holes. Yeah. Um, it also or the Charlie Brown with a sheet with a thousand holes oh in it. Oh my <laughs> God, that would have been even better if they were just like. He, <laughs> and where did that costume come from, right? Did he have to make that on the spot, <laughs> like right in and there with his little, little eye holes, right? <laughs> like there's no evidence of that anywhere in the house. Like he just makes his own little, his own little murder costumes. Oh my God. But when he kills Bob. I love the fact that the knife is big enough. It goes all the way through oh, Bob and sticks him to the fucking wall. Man, that was sick. And then Michael looks like a fucking two-year-old. Or like I said when we were watching it, an artist admiring. Yeah, like he just stuck work. it to the fridge. <laughs> like I just made this, this crayon drawing and it's such a good one. I'm yeah. Stick it to the fridge. That was and That's literally what he fucking did. That was dark, I think, for that mm-hmm. kind of time. I mean... And I like the just that one little insert shot 
of uh, Bob's feet when the toes go completely down. go fucking slack. Yeah, They're completely lifeless. That's kind of like in Texas when they when that one shit gets put on the hook. That was kind of his version of that. Yeah, that was pretty dark too for mm-hmm. the time. Um, that was sick. And then the strangulation of Linda on the phone. Yeah, he was definitely a choker, bro. Yeah, he liked to choke <laughs> and strangle. I'm telling you, uh, audio, that's what the rope for was, dude. Audio asphyxiation. Is that what it's called? Auto erotic. <laughs> auto erotic asphyxiation. <laughs> yeah, dude. That well, was his jam. That's what in the fairness, rope was for. Linda was showing her tits at the time, so you might yeah. not be too far off there. Yeah, he was creepy, man. He was just so creepy and awkward. And him just teleporting around just added such a cool ass just element to the movie. It was solid, dude. It was a solid ass flick. So when he's after he scares the kids and they cut back to Dr. Loomis, he's been standing there all night long, right? He casually turns his head and he spots the car. Now, granted, in the next shot, it's good maybe five, six houses down the road. Yeah. But don't you think he would have noticed the Smith's Grove car? Yeah. For standing there all night long. And he sprinted for a while to get to the car. I mean, when the scene changed. Yeah. Like he had been going for a minute. So, like, there's little. Fucking doctor, right? He's (laughs) not very. Look to your fucking left. Yeah. Look behind you. That's not very observant. (laughs) And even the the sheriff has driven by how many times has came up and they haven't seen the Smith Grove car. Well, would the sheriff know to look for that? I didn't. I I would think so. Um, because it was an official, right? It was like a government official only vehicle or something. Yeah, it was literally property of the sanitarium. Uh, where he escaped from, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the sheriff fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why his daughter gets murdered. <laughs> yeah. Well, we all learn. It's karmic justice. <laughs> I also loved how you can see he mobbed behind the doctor when the doctor's looking for him. That was so classic. Oh, I, fuck I yeah. laughed pretty hard at that part. Um, look to the left, look to the right. Yeah, yeah. drives right by him. <laughs> and I love that he wore he wore the gear the whole time. Oh, and yeah. another part that was kind of interesting to me is like they show everybody trick or treating and shit, and it is daylight, right? And then we bitched about that, and we agreed that those are kind of like the kids that are going to be the ones that go to the bar first, right? Like the first callers, but they were uh, kind of like first callers for candy or whatever. Um, he casually carries these bodies out of the house and around them or like, you know, into the house. There's no more trick-or-treaters. You see like maybe five or six like packs of trick-or-treaters and that's it. It's Halloween night. So that means the murder must have happened like super late at night. But the horror movie time experience is so much different. You know, mm-hmm. you can't really tell. Just like that one scene you said where it was daylight. They're driving to the go to the babysitters and then it's just fucking pitch black. That's like, why I made the joke. Like yeah. how far were they driving the <laughs> yeah. babysitter? Yeah. <laughs> the... the it just doesn't make sense. But talking about him carrying the bodies all nonchalantly through places, this movie alone tells you that Michael Myers is not a person to be fucked with. Yeah. And not just because of who he kills. This motherfucker pulls a headstone yeah. out of the fucking ground yeah. and carries it. Those ain't fucking light. No, dude, not at all. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> and to carry it, not just get it out of the ground, carry it to what, assuming the vehicle that he was driving, then to park down the street, carry it to the house, <laughs> the, the Wallace house, kill everybody in the house, <laughs> go outside, grab the headstone, carry it up the stairs, 
place it, and then set up the Rube Goldberg machine yeah. of death re- reveals. Yeah. <laughs> it would have busted through that motherfucking uh, that, uh, oh, fuck. the bed, dude. Oh, fuck yeah. I think, I'm surprised he didn't fall through the stairs. And I bet you when he put it in the back of that station wagon, that shit was just grinding and sparking. <laughs> right? There's no way. Those things are heavy as fuck. Yes. <laughs> now, if it was like the fucking ones that they that are just the flat ones on the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those maybe, are smaller. Maybe. Yeah. But not a fucking above ground, upright, vertical one. Like was he, that, It was an arch one too, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's no good gripping point for a <laughs> son of a bitch that fucking size. Yeah. Or that fucking weight. So Michael's a fucking beast. What I like about it is because, at least in this movie, and later ones yeah they fucking get much larger built guys mm. michael is legit he might be tall and i think he's about six foot in right. this movie he's scrawny yeah he he's was, a scrawny motherfucker he wasn't like leatherface that motherfucker was but he bad. was still able to fucking grab bob by the fucking throat yeah lift him up to stick him to a fucking wall so he's a beast. That's it's right, because he's pure evil, man. He like all all of the all of the rules and laws that we have within the third dimension. That motherfucker doesn't abide by. He has divine <laughs> intervention, just pure evil in the third form, in the third dimensional form, just fucking people up, dude. He de- he defies all. Um, oh, so you said that the guy that plays uh, plays him, um, that was just some random guy, right? It was. Uh, they, they were all friends. So. When when the mask comes off, was that, that was on a completely purpose? different person? Okay, that was three people play Michael Myers in this movie. Oh, kind of like Darth four Vader. if you count Deborah Hill. <laughs> she plays the hand at the very beginning. All right. Then you have the little kid who plays Michael at the very beginning okay. as well. That's true. Nick Castle is Michael through the majority of the film. When you see Michael breaking through stuff. That is played by Tommy Lee Wallace, who was bigger stature. Oh, and he's a stuntman. That's why. Oh, he's not a stuntman. He was actually the production designer on this movie. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So everyone was just playing different hats. And Tommy actually went on to direct the Halloween 3 season of The Witch. He directed the original It miniseries with Mm -hmm. Tim Curry. Cool. So he's a director now. The third guy, they literally just fucking hired to take the mask off. Wow. That's literally it. Because the other guys didn't want their face on camera, <laughs> so they literally brought him in for one day. <laughs> You're like, uh, it's kind of like when they have like the the ass. Uh, so I believe he did the face shot, and he's the one that took the balcony drop. Okay, because they weren't going to have Nick or Tommy do that because they weren't stuntmen. <laughs> so they did get the guy for that. Damn. I love how much this movie helped other people like do other shit with their careers. Oh, fuck yeah. I mean, that's really tight. I mean, again, for his only like third film, for him just to kind of pull people together with the budget that he had, um, he killed it, dude. Like, literally, oh, yeah. figured, like, this movie is just so tight. Is there anything with this movie that you would change or um, do differently? Ooh. Besides Linda's acting. No, man. I Every time the music hit, I was just like getting into it. Um, you know, the acting was what it was. I loved I loved most of it. The murder runs were different. It was kind of like murder cruises or murder like mosey ons <laughs> over to, you know, I'll kill when I get around to it kind of thing. Um, I yeah. hell even even him just like following her around. I just I love the element of the car and how they made him so 
just like a normal dude, but he's obviously pure evil, mm -hmm. but he's still abiding by the rules within reason of just following people around and showing himself like here and there. It just added a lot of suspense to the movie. Yeah. It was killer, dude. I, except for her screaming bits, there wasn't a whole lot. I didn't, I, that was the only part I didn't like. That's it. And we will get into some other horror movies that she's in. I think you'll see that her screams get better. Yeah, I'm sure. With practice. Yeah. Um, but if her mom was the original Scream Queen, you'd think that she would have learned some <laughs> learned some shit. I agree with that. I agree yeah. with that. But so one, would you recommend this movie to scale from one to ten? hundred percent. I would recommend this. Uh, I, I want to show my daughter. I think she would appreciate it for like, cause uh, she, she can see like all of the cool camera angles and stuff like that. Like we can see in, and I think she would see it as like a work of art, watch her with her boyfriend and shit. Um, as I was watching the movie, my brain was telling me that I think, I think it was better than Texas, the original, like, Oh, I, 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 agree. I, it, it was kind of hard for me to, to accept that because I loved it so much, but because I'm, and that's kind of what sucks about this whole ranking thing in the very beginning is because I'm such a novice, right? That like everything that I see is just getting better and better. And, and I love that. But, but it, that's how you're supposed to rank stuff. You're supposed to rank things off your first impression. Yeah. But we haven't, um, we haven't had anything that's like, well, no, we did have the new Texas was, was trash. So, okay. I guess we, we do have something to, um, break that off of and so what do we do i think i said eight and a half or nine for texas mm. and this definitely has to be at least a solid nine if not a ten because like i said except for those one little screamy bits i enjoyed it as much as i enjoyed like demon knight but like this was way tighter like a way more serious film and what it was supposed yeah. to be it it was yeah a nine or a ten nine and a half ten it was so solid dude yeah like i'm in the same boat with you like there's not a single thing about this movie i would change and i think that's the reason why i despise rob zombies remakes so yeah, much when you're such a hard fan uh, because like i said this is i've seen this movie over 520 times <laughs> i believe i guarantee it <laughs> yeah because i've watched this movie once a week normally on fridays mm -hmm. for over 10 years yeah the only time I missed is when I was a special guest at a private resort owned by Maricopa County. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We've all been camping with Joe. <laughs> so I made up for it when I got out, though. Yeah. So made up those the weeks missed. You could have just recited it, you know, on your free time. Oh, I could play this movie in my head all the fucking yeah. time. Yeah. I could recite this movie to you, probably. Yeah, I don't. I don't have any doubt um, in my mind. So, with hands down, this since starting this podcast, this will definitely be the first ten out of ten that I'm given. Like, yeah, I love this movie. Mm -hmm. Even it, yes, does it have minor flaws? Is there shit in it? Like you see, John Carpenter's smoke co in the fucking frame. Yeah, I saw. You the see, PJ Souls, Linda, when they get off the couch, she kind of staggers because she trips over the dolly track. Yeah, the little kid, he, he stumbles to walking up onto the curb. Yeah. Um, when you see uh, uh, Michael get uh, jump off the roof or get like chucked off the roof, you can actually see him jump from it. Or mm. if you notice his feet kind of come back and he jumps back. Well, because um, actually what they did on that one is they shot it that way because uh -huh. they had a ramp that went up to the top. Okay. That he just kind of walked up and fell As down. getting shot okay. and threw himself off the back. Okay, that was <laughs> yeah. noticeable for sure. <laughs> but but right. it's all those little little flaws that i think make the movie more realistic yeah that's fair. 
Yeah. And like I said, I will never talk bad about John Carpenter's 78 Halloween. Never. Yeah. If I do, that's the day I die. <laughs> <laughs> now, as we get along with the Halloween franchise, I love Michael Myers. I'll say that. But my thoughts on some of the movies might waver a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to find out on my own. Oh, yeah. Like you said, because next week we're going to be watching 2018's. I hate this title. It's a direct sequel to Halloween called Halloween. It's like having a self titled album twice. Right. <laughs> just redoing all the same songs, just with a different producer, or just later in time. Yeah. So that's what's coming next week. And once we get done with all the uh, the four Halloween movies that we're doing for, uh, through the second week of November, I'm going to swing back around, catch up with Hellraiser. I think I've got Demon Knight on the docket. Hell yeah. Week. After Demon Knight, I'm going to throw a really goofy one out there for you because that, that week will be Thanksgiving. All right. So we're going to be watching Thanksgiving. Oh, hell yeah. A goofy-ass fucking movie about I a killer turkey. I've seen it. <laughs> about a I'll... killer turkey. <laughs> <laughs> so, And then we're into the Christmas season, and we'll talk about that when we get a little closer Yeah, to that. I'm looking forward to some of the Christmas ones. Oh, I think I've got some good ones lined up. Yeah. <laughs> so with that being said, we're going to end this this week. Thanks for listening, y'all, and we'll catch you later. And as always, till next time, kiddies. Thank you.